Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, it's Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast. It's Thursday, August 4th. Feminist writer and podcaster Lux Alptrom says it may be time to move from the era of so-called empowerment feminism to something she calls disempowerment feminism as a response to the Supreme Court reversing Roe versus Wade, Joe Manchin and the Republicans killing the universal child care bill in Congress, and other current events. Maybe you saw her New York Times op-ed on that last week. And Lux Optrom is also a writer meeting this moment in other ways. She recently wrote a guide to abortion resources in a post-Roe America for Wired. She tweets under the handle, Lux, ask me about self-managed abortion. Optrom, we'll talk about that. She definitely has thoughts about the implications of the Kansas referendum in which voters in a very Republican state overwhelmingly voted to keep abortion rights protected by the state constitution on Tuesday. And some of you may know her as the author of the 2018 book, Faking It, The Lies Women Tell About Sex and the Truths They Reveal. Lux, thanks a lot for joining us. Welcome to WNYC. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Can we start on Kansas? Were you surprised at the outcome? I wouldn't say I was surprised per se. I going into it, I didn't know what to expect. I know that abortion rights are pretty popular, even with Republicans. Um, So I wasn't shocked when it turned out, oh, wow, like six, almost 60 percent of voters voted to keep abortion rights. But with a lot of these things, it's not a question of what's popular. It's a question of who is voting, who gets access to the polls how much voter suppression is doing to keep people out of voting. Um, With this case in particular, the way the ballot initiative was phrased was very confusing. There was a lot of intentionally misleading um, campaigning, like saying, like, oh, vote yes to give Kansans a choice, which to a lot of people is going to sound like to maintain abortion rights when actually they mean a choice to get rid of abortion. So, you know, going in, there was just all of that where I was like, it feels weighted against it. But then it turned out overwhelmingly for abortion rights. And to me, that just says that people want to have abortion rights. Uh, I think the complex thing that that makes it a little less optimistic than I would like it to be is that a lot Mm -hmm. of people are fine with abortion being restricted. Like we saw over the past decade plus, abortion rights were whittled away through the trap laws and nobody cared. And I think for a lot of people, it's like you say waiting periods, you say mandatory counseling, they hear that as you're making abortion safer, not you're making abortion harder to get. But when you say we want to completely eliminate access to abortion, that's a hard line for a lot of people. Like you can do a lot of things to restrict it. But the minute you say no abortion, people, as we saw in Kansas, will turn out and say, no, we're not okay with this. So now the issue goes state by state. You tweeted that the news from Kansas gives you hope for Michigan's ballot initiative to enshrine abortion rights in the state's constitution this fall. Why Michigan in particular? Well, so I'm focused on Michigan in part because State Senator Mallory McMorrow, who many people know from her viral speech that she gave after her opponent slammed her as a quote unquote groomer for supporting trans children. She's a friend of mine. Um, So I'm very invested in her and her work. 
And I know that she's currently working to flip the Michigan State Legislature so that it's blue. And they're also working really hard to get abortion rights codified in the Michigan State Constitution. So it's just a state I'm paying attention to. And it's certainly a state that's much more purple than Kansas is. So if Kansas is going to come out for abortion rights, I feel pretty confident that Michigan will this fall as well. Also, the referendum in Kansas, as you just referenced, was in the negative. It would have removed abortion rights from the state constitution. Is the Michigan one a positive wording? Like, do you vote for abortion rights? Yes, but it's a little bit different because Kansas already had abortion rights enshrined in their constitution. That's why they wanted people to vote to take that away. Whereas Michigan doesn't have any protections for abortion. In fact, they have, a, I think, 1931 era law that restricts abortion, that there's been battles over whether or not that can even be enforced. So they're trying to add abortion protection to their constitution uh, because they don't have it, whereas Kansas surprisingly already has that. And they'd have to work to take it away if they want to do anything to restrict abortion further than it already is. And I do want to be clear that Kansas abortion access is not great. There's already like mandatory waiting periods. If you're a minor, you need parental consent. There's already a lot of things that are restricting abortion access in Kansas. It's just that they cannot take it away fully. And you've written that there's a difference between abortion rights and abortion access. And it's very clear when you put it that way, because one thing is on paper, the other thing is in reality, with all kinds of limitations um, that anti-choice people can still put on it. You know, on Michigan, did you see what happened there on Monday? I heard the dramatic NPR report this morning about how multiple court rulings in the same day stopped abortion providers from serving their patients in the middle of the workday, even as patients were in their offices. And then the right got restored, at least for the moment, later in the day Monday, by another court ruling. Here's a clip from that report of a clinic director in the Detroit area, uh, Audrey Lance, on that first shocking moment. We wanted to do our very best to take care of them, um, but that we had to stop for the time being to figure out what we were legally going to be able to do. Stop for the moment because a court had said that, sorry, clinics, providers, patients, that 1931 law now takes effect because of what the Supreme Court did. And Dr. Lance talks about how that felt. And felt a total gut punch and in real time trying to figure out what this means for the patients that are literally sitting in my clinic. That from NPR's Morning Edition today in Michigan Public Radio. So that gut punch, that reversal twice within a day, is that emblematic of the state-by-state, court-by-court, literally hour-by-hour struggle that the Supreme Court has unleashed? Absolutely. I mean, people... You can take the kind of long view, which I do sometimes, and say abortion is really popular. This is going to be worked out. But that doesn't help someone who needs an abortion today. That doesn't help someone whose abortion appointment just got turned over uh, because of what a judge just said. And now they're scrambling to figure out, can I get an abortion in my state? Do I have to travel? Um, This is also this is a medical procedure that's a ticking clock. 
because the longer you wait to have an abortion, the more complicated, the more difficult it is, the more you run up against even more laws, the more expensive it often becomes. The sooner you can get an abortion, the easier it is for everyone, really. And these can- laws... Yeah. Go ahead, sorry. Sorry, go ahead. No, sorry. I was going to say, as these laws get overturned, it just throws people who need urgent medical care into chaos. Does Kansas make you think the statewide referendum might be a nationally powerful tool for the abortion rights movement or not so much? I mean, when you look at the polls, Republicans are still very much against abortion rights. Democrats very much for independence, pretty much for. There's been some analysis that Kansas conservatism has a strong libertarian streak, you know, keep your government hands off my guns and my body, where conservatism in states like Texas or Alabama or elsewhere in the Deep South, say, may not run that way. So I'm curious if you're thinking about the power or not of referenda in light of the Kansas result. Well, the New York Times actually had a piece this morning that suggested that about four out of five states would vote for abortion rights if it were put to a referendum. So I don't think it would happen everywhere. But I think a lot of states, even some of the states that we think of as conservative, might be more amenable to abortion rights if it was put to a vote. I think part of the problem is not every state actually has the ability to do a referendum like that. It definitely is kind of how that would work and what that looks like really is built up in individual state laws. So I don't think that that's something that we can put to practice everywhere. But I do think it would turn out more in favor of abortion than people expect because You know, a lot of times we think about like red, blue, but it's much more complicated than that. And there's a lot of people who I think Dobbs really changed the calculus on this because there's a lot of people who are happy to vote for anti-abortion politicians so long as they think that abortion is safe because it it just feels theoretical. It's like, okay, you can say whatever you want, but I'm going to be able to get an abortion when I need it. But now that safety net is gone. And so the people who are saying we want to make sure nobody can have an abortion, even if they have been sexually assaulted, even if they are about to die. When you start hearing that, now you have to take those people seriously. It's not just rhetoric. Like This is actual stuff that they have the ability to do. And I think that has energized people and people who might have been more Republican leaning. And certainly if you break abortion out as an issue, rather than saying, vote for these candidates who have a package of different platforms that you may agree with some and not agree with others. If you say, like, what do you feel about abortion? I think you're going to see a lot more people say, I want abortion to be protected. Maybe you can put restrictions on it, but I want it to be protected. Lux, can you remind people how that term empowerment feminism is generally used and how you used it? Yeah. um, So when I think of empowerment feminism, I think of feminism that is saying, you know, we can empower ourselves through the system. If we are confident, if we work hard, if we understand the rules, we can take power. We can get elected to office. We can launch or get to the head of companies. We can shift the balances of power by showing that we're good enough fundamentally, like by believing ourselves. And there's a lot of there's a lot of you know rhetoric that goes with it where it's like yeah carry yourself with the confidence of a mediocre white man which suggests that it's just women not being confident enough 
um, or, you know, power posing. And that's going to make you really feel like you can take on the day or lean in is a great example of this, where it's like, I'm going to tell you how the system works so that you can work for it, make it work for you. And I don't want to say that it never gets results because it certainly gets results and it gets results for some people. But I think that it has a limited efficacy. And I think right now, especially, we're seeing that it's like if the system is rigged against you, it doesn't matter what how much confidence you have. Like if people say, like, we don't want to do shows that are led by women, it doesn't matter if you say like, well, I have all these statistics showing that these shows get a huge audience and make a lot of money. People are just gonna say like, we don't care. We just don't want that. Um, and I think that that can be really frustrating for people who are like, but I'm working hard and the truth is on my side and X, Y, Z. But that's kind of the fundamental problem with, with empowerment and feminism, that it only works in a good faith system. Let's talk to Allie in Ridgewood, who I think is into your stuff. Allie, you're on WNYC with Lux, hi. Hi, can you hear me? Can hear you. Yeah. Okay, great. Hi. Um, I called uh, like a couple months ago when you were also talking about abortion and asked a question, and I forgot to say, um, uh, long-time listener, second-time caller, so I'm saying it today. Um, there you thank go. Thank my you. Call. Thank you. And, yeah, thank you for what you do. Um, and, Lux, thank you for what you do. And I just was, um, when I was asking my question, I wasn't tuned into everything you were saying to the um, the uh, screener, so I maybe missed if you were if you said something about this. But when you were talking about empowerment feminism, which is something I hadn't actually heard of before, um, I just was curious how you what you think about how that relates to capitalism, because some of the language you used reminded me of like stuff I've read about, like you know, girl boss or like being a girl boss, and it's like, but you're still a boss then, and you're still you know like. Uh, participating in systems that oppress other people and it made me think about um, you know earlier waves of feminism that uh, excluded different types of women who weren't white women or who you know weren't cis women from from it and I'm just curious your thoughts about how empowerment feminism relates to capitalism yeah no so I think empowerment feminism is fundamentally working within the system and capitalism is one of the biggest and most entrenched systems we have in America so it's absolutely part of it. And certainly this like the girl boss, the lean in, that's about navigating capitalism as much as it is anything else. And I think that capitalism is not set up to be a fair system. And I think, you know, I, I said once, I said once there was something like I think AOC had tweeted about the wing as like a feminist company. And I thought it was funny because I was like, there's no such thing as a feminist mm. company. Like there are companies that are founded by feminists, certainly. But if your motivation is to be profitable at all costs and if profit is your priority, then you're going to end up sacrificing your feminist principles or other social justice principles, which we see again and again and again because and we saw that with the wing the wing got lambasted for not living up to its ideals and all of that and again it's because if profit is your motivation you you end up compromising on a lot of things that would make what you're doing more equitable uh because they're not good for the bottom line and yet What's the alternative? I mean, I think most of the small businesses that are started in the U.S. these days are started by women or some very large percentage. And is the only route to uh, a real gender fair system to just 
tear down capitalism and try to build a socialist state or what's really the alternative? I mean, I I try not to be hardline like capitalist, socialist, whatever. I'm for creating systems that work and that give people the need, meet people's needs. I mean, I certainly think some kind of like blended capitalist socialist system appears to have worked out fairly well in places that have tried it. Like, I think, you know, a nominally capitalist system that also has a robust social safety net is certainly a lot better than what yeah. we have right now. You know, and, if and that's if really yeah. what people like Bernie and AOC are talking about. Uh, Absolutely. That's, that's the kind of thing. And we're almost out of time with writer and podcaster Lux Alptrom. I, I did want to reference that your Twitter handle is Lux, ask me about self-managed abortion, Alptrom. Okay, would you tell us something we should know about self-managed abortion? Absolutely. Um, so a lot of people, when they hear self-managed abortion, they think like people drinking bleach, people using coat hangers unsafely, they assume that this means something dangerous and unsafe, but that is not true anymore. Uh, we now have two different pill regimens that are known to be incredibly safe and incredibly effective, especially when you're doing it in the first trimester. Um, and that is a mifepristone misoprostol combo or just misoprostol alone. The regimen for mifepristone misoprostol is one mifepristone pill, and then about 24 hours later, you dissolve four misoprostol pills underneath your tongue. It takes about 30 minutes. Um, and then that induces uh, abortion and it's basically inducing a miscarriage. Uh, if you only have access to misoprostol, you need 12 pills and you do four every three hours. And so again, it's four pills dissolved under the tongue, wait three hours, do it again, wait three hours, do it again. And it's 30 minutes to dissolve. And these pills, the best way to find out where to get these pills is to go to plancpills.org. They link to a variety of telemedicine providers. They link to a variety of um, of online pharmacies that have been vetted and verified and will get you the pills that you need to terminate an abortion. And if you are in a state where abortion is still legal and safe, um, this is a good option because clinics are getting flooded with people from out of state. And if you are in a state where uh, abortion is restricted, this is still a good option because there's a lot of places that will send you pills regardless of what your state says about abortion um, and will make sure that you are able to get the abortion that you need from the safety and comfort of your own home without having to travel, without having to be berated by people giving you false information about abortion, without being forced to wait uh, for multiple days due to a mandated waiting period after you have mandated counseling. Um, I think self-managed abortion is a critical way for all people who are pregnant and don't want to be to take their bodily autonomy back into their hands and say, it doesn't matter what you say about the laws, as long as I can get these pills, which you can, even if it's technically illegal, um, as long as I can get these pills, I can reclaim my body and I can decide when I am pregnant and when I am not pregnant. I'm glad you told me to ask. And there we leave yeah. it with Lux Optrom, who besides that Twitter feed is the author of the 2018 book, Faking It, The Lies Women Tell About Sex and the Truths They Reveal, and the New York Times guest essay that first ran on Friday, Women, the Game is Rigged. It's time we stop playing by the rules. Lux, thank you so, so much. Thank you for having me. 
Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time. Thank you.